what's a good intro for this? I feel like I've locked myself into the singing at the beginning thing, but I don't know if I want to keep doing that anymore. What's you could say you have a good feeling about this because how about the Star Wars? Okay, you wait, have a I, bad okay. feeling about this, but Hans he had a good one, right? And they like they like switched it. Okay, Adeline, what if I ask you what your name is, and you say nerds aloud, and then I ask you who your people are, and you say I don't have any people, and then I write down no nerds aloud. How does that sound? Uh, not that good, not actually. <laughs> what if, um, what if I asked you what your name was, and then I said, "Oh, I'm not going to say that every time. I got to come up with a nickname for that one." What if we did that instead? What if you just sang the Star Wars thing? <laughs> Fine. Da, 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 da. Podcast. Hi, my name is Jackson McMurray. My name is Adeline McMurray. <laughs> You can you can say your name, Anastasia. And I'm Anastasia. <laughs> okay, I wasn't sure if I was gonna get introduced. Okay, I'm Anastasia. <laughs> and this is is no nerds allowed. Okay, cool, good start. And there are no nerds allowed. We're doing great. <sighs> what if what if I said um there's a big there's a big score on Tatooine later, and you said, um, I don't have anywhere to go at this one. What's on Tatooine? And I'm like, Sands, that's for sure. Okay, so, <laughs> all right. We're doing a bad job so far, but hang in with us, listeners. Oh, I'm, I'm here. I'm here for it. Uh, <laughs> so today on our fourth Star Wars episode, we have wonderful guests, Anastasia McAllister. Do you want to introduce yourself on your own terms, Anastasia? Yeah, I can, I can introduce myself. I'm Anastasia. Um, I went to film school, so I know everything. Right, right. A whole year. <laughs> <laughs> and now I Do work you... in TV, so I super know everything. Have right. all the opinions about all the movies. <laughs> Do you have anything you want to plug but, right yeah. at the top? Um, ooh, I didn't even think about that. I'm really trying to unplug lately. <laughs> <laughs> if you so, follow me on Twitter, could you unfollow? Yeah, if you follow me on social media, what this is what I'm plugging. If you follow me on social media, please unfollow me. Yeah. <laughs> free me from this burden. <laughs> yeah, please free me. I'm trapped. <laughs> this is a call for help. <laughs> yeah. So, so, today on our solo a Star Wars story episode. This is our, our first episode covering a non-prequel Star Wars movie. Um, although I well, suppose this is a prequel. prequel. Yeah, it's just not one of the prequels, quote-unquote. The prequels. Um, this is... Okay, you know how I'm going to start this off? I've been doing that thing where I talk about all the ancillary Star Wars content, so I want to start there. Yeah. There's so you're not... just going to list it off for like a solid three minutes? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> I only did that for Clone Wars because I had to. <laughs> There's not a lot that takes place in between Revenge of the Sith and Solo. There is a lot that takes place between Solo and Rogue One, though. Um, that makes sense. But between... Th basically, the only thing I had to do for this week 
was uh, I read a 25-issue comic book series uh, about Darth Vader right after Revenge of the Sith, and it fucking rips. It's <laughs> This is a story that's written by uh, Charles Soule and drawn by Giuseppe Comancoli, uh, and it's all about just, like, Darth Vader sort of figuring himself out now that he's this dark lord of the sith and he's like just now that he's a robot man now <laughs> right what? and it's I want super to cool this. it's very good the first story is all about him like tracking down uh this particular jedi so he can steal a lightsaber and take the the crystal out of it and they establish that how you get a red lightsaber is you take a regular lightsaber and then you just pour all your dark side rage into it until it corrupts and bleeds and turns red. Just pretty kick-ass. Yeah, I kind of want that. I kind of want one. Yeah. <laughs> I can do that. Uh, yeah, easy. The, <laughs> no problem. Um, and I do that for breakfast every morning. Like, come on. <laughs> the story's mostly about him like tracking down surviving Jedi and taking them out. But the last story, the last, like, six issues are about him, like, communing with the spirit of this ancient Sith artist who, like, uses the dark side of the Force to channel into his, like, horrible, grotesque sculptures. And he's, like, this weird ancient zealot that is obsessed with weird performance art. (laughs) And Darth Vader gets him to design a castle for him that's just perfectly attuned to the dark side of the Force so that he can open a weird rift in time and try to go through it and bring Padme back from the dead. But he fails because the ancient (laughs) sculptor, horrible dark side Sith, like, sabotages him and goes through the portal himself and just totally, like, ascends to a higher plane. And that's the end of the story. Why do we have this movie? What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's This really is the cool. Star Wars story I want. Yeah, yeah, man. So then, after that, cut to Han Solo. Driving around with his he girlfriend. Living in the sewer with the weird tapeworm lady. <laughs> So, Who's just in charge. Don't ask questions about yeah. the tapeworm lady. <laughs> <laughs> this movie has a lot of weird backstory around it that I did, or that I that I did some research on. Um, apparently this movie, this particular Han Solo movie, was in development even before Disney bought Star Wars. George Lucas was like eyeing this as the like big comeback project for him after the prequels. Um but eventually, once that whole deal went through and they kind of kicked George Lucas out, they sort of took his notes and, like, distributed it among <laughs> whoever they wanted They stole to. his dream journal, is what you're telling me. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, but I think that it's really interesting because it's written by uh, Lawrence Kasdan, who's, like, one of the classic Star Wars screenwriters. He was a writer on uh, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi and Force Awakens. Um, so he's, he's like a, a long time Star Wars guy. This one is written by him and his son, who isn't, Jake Kasdan. (laughs) 
And uh, apparently what I've been told is that Jake Kasdan is the one who's really into the like ancillary secondary Star Wars canon. So that's why this movie feels so much like it's in conversation with like Clone Wars and like all the other like Mm. second tier stories. Um, Mm -hmm. Which is really weird because none of the other movies feel like they are in quite the same way. Yeah, this one really felt like it was trying to world build. Like, right. That yeah. was the focus. That's what I really felt. And not having a lot of that backstory was kind of like, I was like, I see that they're world building, but I don't know why and right. what the purpose is. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm like, I get I get what they're trying to build, build, but like, why? I don't know. I don't get it. <laughs> right. But like, I feel like if I had yeah. like known more, I probably would have been geeking out over it. Right. So yeah. yeah. That is because, like I said, for this podcast, as we go along, I've been trying to ingest like as much of this stuff as I can. Um, And so I feel like I'm approaching this movie with a different perspective. The reason Darth Mm -hmm. Maul shows up is because in Clone Wars, they establish that not only is he still alive, but now he, instead of just returning to the Sith, he decides he hates the Sith too. So he just becomes this, like, underground crime lord where he's, like, just gathering as much power as he can. So now he's the leader of this, like, big syndicate called the uh, Crimson... What's it called? Crimson Dawn. Uh, I almost said Crimson Peak, but that's a whole different movie. Guillermo del Toro's Crimson Peak. Um, Very creepy movie. But, (laughs) like... So, like, me knowing that, it's exciting when Darth Maul shows up. Because in the back of your head, yeah. you're like, oh, it's Crimson Dawn. That means that Darth Maul is kind of in charge. And, like, they say, like, even I answer to somebody. And I'm like, oh, it's Darth Maul. It's Darth Maul. I know who it is. But, like, to a regular person who's just watching the movies like a human, mm-hmm. when Darth Maul just shows up, it's nothing except for deeply confusing like yeah because all of the normies what we know what we know darth maul from is we watched that guy get cut in half and fall down a pit and then we never saw him ever again so now that he just shows up in this movie and he's like in his big chair and a normal dude i am immediately confused about the whole timeline and what we're doing Yeah, I almost well, yeah, felt like I, mean, I forgot I, I heard... that I was watching a Star Wars movie, and then at the yeah. end he shows up, and I'm like, oh wait, this is Star Wars. Like, wait, what's happening? Where does this <laughs> fit? I don't know what's going on. Right. I was going to say, <laughs> a lot of people said that made them just, like, confused about when it takes place, because they thought Darth Maul was dead, so they were like, oh, yeah. Yeah. does it take place before Phantom Menace? How old is Han How Solo? How old is Han Solo? <laughs> <laughs> um, there's also a line where Woody Harrelson says that he killed Aura Singh who's like another character. She's just like a bounty hunter who was in Phantom Menace for like a split second and just had like a cool enough design that in like the comic books and the TV shows, she like became like a, like a standard bounty hunter for when you want to tell a story about bounty hunters. And I've heard that there were a lot of people online who were mad that they just kind of killed her off screen by being like, Woody Harrelson killed her at some point. Uh, but Maybe. it's just <laughs> like it's weird it's just so weird how much he's not like all of the Star Wars movies thus far have felt like they exist like at the top of a pyramid right 
And like Mm -hmm. everything else is as a result of things sort of trickling down from what you establish in the movies that come sort of first and foremost. And all the other content around it is filling in the cracks in between and like spinning off of that in some way. But this is the only movie that feels like it sort of wants to be on the same level as Clone Wars or as like the Disney Marvel comic books, you know? And it's just, it's a weird decision that I think is going to alienate a lot of people. I think the worst decision that this movie makes, just as a whole, is trying to connect it, is is that decision to be one of the movies that fills in the cracks and, like, trying to connect Solo to all these different things. Like, mm-hmm. I, I kind of just wanted it to just be, like, a new hope, where it's just, like, a story with, like, a clear beginning and a clear ending, and we're just kind of, like... I just, they need to simplify it because if it was just like a simple story, I feel like it'd be a lot more fun and a lot more entertaining and would feel a lot more like a Star Wars movie. Because like, as you guys say, it doesn't really feel like a Star Wars movie (laughs) until they blast the Star Wars music when we see the Millennium Falcon for the first time. Like, you kind of forget. Yeah, I feel like it was... And then Darth Maul shows up. It's just weird. I feel like it was like two different movies. It was like a world building movie trying to be on like a certain level... And then the other movie is, like, a fan service Han Solo movie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, like, I would be fine with either one of those, but them being, like, mashed together is what was Mm -hmm. so confusing. And I felt like I was never fully in the movie because it was, like, just the the feel of it kept changing. Like, sometimes it was, like, what's interesting, too, is, like, they used John Williams' music, but they had a completely different Mm -hmm. composer. So it was right. like in the Star Wars Han Solo movie, there was John Williams music. And then in like the other movie, there's like this other composer who like completely sounds different. Like I couldn't not oh, hear yeah. it. And it kept taking me out and it was really frustrating. Like I'm such a John Williams fan. Right. So <laughs> it was just like two movies in one. And it was, I, that's, that's only, the, that's like the only reason why I didn't love it. Right. Well, there I is. Wish, um... I wish they had made both those movies, you know. Yeah, right. just separately. <laughs> yeah. Well, there there is John Powell did the score for this movie, and it's one of my favorite scores, like ever in history. Yeah. Be, it and they're not actually using any, like actual. They're not using any of the same MP3s from <laughs> from John Williams. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I love this score because it is almost completely original musical ideas. Except yeah. for like very specific moments when he chooses to deploy an old school Star Wars melody, you know, he yeah. just puts in that main theme and just like sort of peppers it throughout every every little little time that it that he thinks it's appropriate. But and mm. it's John Pellis, he's the same guy who did the score for How to Train Your Dragon, um, mm. oh. and I think this the score for this movie gives it a unique identity in a lot of ways because like thinking about the other star Wars movie that has a non John Williams score in Rogue one, Michael Giacchino is basically doing his best to just emulate John Williams as close as he can. And he does a great job at it, but it's still, it doesn't sort of set it apart in the same way. I think the John Powell score is like so much more propulsive and so much more like percussion percussion driven 
than any of the typical mm-hmm. like Star Wars movie music. Yeah. That like I think it is I just think it's a cool, bold move. And like if you ever get a chance to, like just listening to that soundtrack on its own, it slaps so hard. Um <laughs> Yeah, that's I don't the know. thing. I just, I, liked, I just love I did it. like it. It's just like, it was like, th- that's the thing. This movie makes me feel weird because I yeah. didn't, <laughs> I didn't hate it, but yeah. I like, I'm just so used to when I, I and I, maybe it's the setting too because I just watched it at home. Like I'm a big proponent of going mm-hmm. to a movie theater and watching a movie, especially movies like Star Wars. I think that's right. Like really <laughs> the only true Star way to Wars watch movie. them. Yeah. But it just, like, I never felt, like, fully in the movie. I felt like I was kind of, like, thinking about it and, like, not just, like, fully invested in anything. And so, like, I liked a lot of different parts of it. But it just, like, it just never felt like everything connected. It just felt, like, disjointed. Mm. It mm-hmm. felt like... I, I feel like there was just scenes that we were waiting for, like, meeting Lando, meeting <laughs> Right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like there were just scenes You're like that waiting we were waiting for. Those for. Moments. Yeah, yeah, so that's why I feel like I just wish that there was a Han Solo movie that was that was just that. You know what I mean? And right. it was completely mm-hmm. just fun fan service, only that. Yeah. And then there was this other movie with like interesting right. scores, interesting characters, like and right. the deep different lore. planets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I don't know, like for some reason it just didn't work for me having that like mesh together it just felt very mm. disjointed so i didn't hate it like i feel like a lot of right. people always yeah. like, that was the worst star wars movie i hated it like i don't hate it it's just i just didn't i didn't like the way it felt that's it <laughs> yeah Adeline and i are kind of on the same page that like we like this movie more than we don't like it i yeah. think but it's yeah. what we were talking about a lot while we were watching it was just that like the characters motivations are kind of hard to keep track of like, yeah, and sure. especially like sometimes even when you do, they just feel kind of weak and lame. Like that whole sequence where they're doing the heist on the train is super cool. It's awesome. But in yeah. reality, like there's no reason for Han Solo to be doing what he's doing. And you don't have any investment in like the outcome of the scene. Like he met these guys that are going to do something and he's like, oh, I'll help out because I'm a, I don't know, I'm not doing anything else right now, I guess. So he's just, like, trying to help these strangers we don't know do something. Yeah. And you're like, yeah. I mean, that's fine. Like, logically, that tracks, I guess. But, like, I don't I don't care if they fail. But then people die. <laughs> right, yeah. And then, and then I'm like, oh, know, I should die. care. <laughs> they do. They treat these characters so weirdly. I think Rogue One set a dangerous precedence that any character that's in a prequel that we don't see in the original trilogy has to die because yeah. we don't know what to do with them or where to put them, so they have to die. Right. Yeah. But, like, it's kind of funny. We meet this, like, first group of, like, I'm going to call them rogues, like, this first group of, like, marauders, and we're like, oh, I'm, here's my sob story. And, like, oh, I'm, a, I'm out here killing people and getting money because I grew up on a rock or I never knew my dad or my mom's dead. And it's like, all these characters just have sob stories because we're not going to develop them at all. Mm. So right. we need a reason to care about them now. Like a quick and And the dirty. only way we know to do that is to just make their backstory sad. <laughs> right. It's like an episode of And then of they're American going to die Idol. and then we don't need to worry about it. <laughs> yeah. Like, 
it's yeah it's just like a quick and dirty way to like engender empathy just be like oh here's this yeah. guy he's got six arms and um he's uh never been loved <laughs> you're like okay i guess his mom and dad never hugged him yeah, yeah. yeah. he's got he's got six arms and he's never been hugged it's <laughs> Well, and then <laughs> all these arms and no one to hug. No one to hug with them. <laughs> well, I was trying to follow Han Solo's motivation throughout the movie because the very beginning we're on Sewer Planet and Corellia, like, Corona, and we're like, all right, we've got, we want to get out of here because it sucks here. And I'm like, you've shown me that it sucks. I get it. Let's get out of here. And then they get separated when he's trying to get out of there. And he's like, I want to be a pilot. So I'm going to join the Imperial Army because I want to be a pilot. And then I can get out of here and then I can get back here to my girlfriend. It's like, mm. okay, great. And then on the army, he meets the group of, b- of bandits. He's like, yo, I want to go with you because if I go with you, I can get money to go see my girlfriend. And it's like, okay. So then they do the heist, and they do the heist, and then they go to get the money so that Han can go and see his girlfriend, and then he meets his girlfriend there, so then there's no reason for him to be doing this anymore, (laughs) except for the fact that they'll kill him if he does it, but then they don't, and then he gets the money, and then they keep doing it, and then he's still doing stuff, but I don't know why he's doing anything (laughs) anymore. Well, yeah, and it's just this weird, like, the relationship it's just, it's between... stop and go, stop and go. Right. The relationship, there's a lot of things about this movie that feel sort of, like, slapped together, I guess. In the sense that, like, you've got, like, a lot of great scenes with cool stuff going on in them, but, like, the way mm. they fit together is never quite satisfying. Um like, and I think there's no better hallmark of that than, like, the relationship between Han and Kira, where it's, like, the movie sets you up right at the beginning with this really intense scene of them, like, expressing really emotionally, like, how passionate they are about each other and how much they care and how much they're willing to risk and how much they're willing to do in order to get together again. But then mm-hmm. by the time they do get back together... You've engendered, like, all of this compassion to these two characters and their relationship in the audience. And then once they finally do get back together, they're kind of like, oh, this is kind of weird now. I don't know know what we're really (laughs) going to do about this anymore. That was probably my biggest problem with the whole thing. Yeah. It's because, like, first of all, like, Han and Leia are together like that's just that's what everybody knows and everybody wants so i'm kind of like nah like i don't really care about this woman really because like Mm. who is she you know what i mean i don't know who she is like at all i don't know you but then they're really in love so i'm like oh okay maybe they're really in love like i'll believe it that's fine i'll allow this because you guys said some really nice things to each other i get it but then like yeah when they meet up again it's like oh hey and then it's like that's it right that's the love of your life you just are like oh hey and then that's it for a long time right yeah Yeah. and like they give them like moments where they like kiss again or something but then like in between that they just kind of hang out like oh well buddy uh let's go meet lando (laughs) and you're like okay like yeah and like it's 
it seems like what they're trying to do is sort of like establish how Han got this chip on his shoulder that he carries into Star Wars, right? And it feels like what they're trying to do is like, oh, there's this woman that he loved so much, but then once he finally did everything to get to her, she had kind of moved on and doesn't really think about him anymore. And now she is with these bad guys and she's going to go off and be a crime Lord at the end and betray him. So that's why he's so sort of jaded moving forward. Right. Mm -hmm. But they can't like fully commit to that idea because like, I think it would be so much better if it was like immediately clear that something was like drastically different and this wasn't going to work out as soon as she shows up again. Like, immediately Han is just like, oh, fuck. Like, as soon as I see you, like, I immediately realize, like, this was all for nothing. Because we're not in the same place anymore. And this is not going to happen the way it always did in my imagination, you know? Or else... Yeah, I almost... Go ahead. Go ahead, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I almost wish that, like, near the end, when they end up... Who is... Who are the people that, like... What... All right, there's a lot of like names of things that I don't yeah. remember. <laughs> right. Just like, but, like the thing that the thing that they were trying to get. What was that called? Oh, the coaxium. The coaxium. <laughs> <laughs> then there was then there was the people who were coming to get that from them. Who was that? Um, that was Red I don't God. Know, or Enfys Nest is the name of the girl, but I don't know what their name is as a group. Like the the rebels, I guess, like the ragtag team right. of people who lost things yeah (laughs) um anyways when han solo decides to like do good and like help them i almost wish that's when we saw her again and she doesn't want to do good she's just trying to do what she's supposed to do right and then that's when there would be tension where it's like wait we were like in love but now we have a completely different worldview right like Mm -hmm. that's what i wish would have happened because it, the yeah. tension just isn't like believable in any kind of way. Right. Well, Cause what she ends up doing is weird because she like half helps him and half abandons him, but she abandons him in like a subtle way where she just kind of quietly leaves. She doesn't <laughs> right. get him in any yeah. trouble. She's not mad at him. She just kind of quietly leaves. And so it's like, even when she ju- does betray you, it doesn't feel like a harsh betrayal. Yeah, he doesn't so even doesn't... seem that fucked up about it. He's just like, oh, man. Yeah, it doesn't even make sense no. why we get the beginning of Star Wars Han Solo that's like, fuck all you guys, I'm just here for the money. Like, I don't know how we get that Han, because at the end of this movie, he's not that upset, and honestly, he doesn't have that much to be upset about. Like. Right. Your girlfriend's yeah, not here, but sorry. Like, yeah. <laughs> I would have loved to see him develop this character where he's, he decides instead of just money, he's trying to do good. And then in doing good, he loses the love of his life. Right. And then he's mm-hmm. like, well, like, what was that for? Why did right. I do good if I just lost the person that, the only person I care yeah. about? And then mm-hmm. that's like where the chip on the shoulder would develop. And then that's why, like, in the later trilogies, why he kind of is like wishy-washy about morals and stuff, right? Because mm-hmm. he tried that and it didn't work. And, you know? Yeah, it cost him. Yeah, it's. I I just yeah, think it's a exactly. weird idea in general to make a prequel about Han Solo, because like, the when you see yeah. him the first time, he's just like this selfish asshole who doesn't care about anybody. 
So that means if you do a a prequel, you have to somehow come up with a a satisfying arc for a character that ends with him being a selfish (laughs) asshole who doesn't care about anybody. (laughs) That ends in a bad place. (laughs) And I think that, and there's so much weird theming in this movie about people who are like defined by their relationships, right? Like he meets that yeah. crew and Woody Harrelson's like, oh, I love my wife so much. We prop each other up or we've got our like crew with John Favreau, Mick Six Legs, and he, we're <laughs> a, like Rio a family Jackson. and that's important. What? His name's Rio that's right. Jackson. His name's Rio and he dances on the sand. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, but like, then, I don't know. It's just weird because I think what they're trying to do is like kind of fake you out, right? Like, build all this theming around, like, a found family and, like, letting yourself care about mm. people and, like, you know, leaning on people when you need it and having a, a, a family around you. But then, at mm. the end, they all die or betray him and Han Solo isn't really left with anything. But it doesn't really work because you never see Han Solo be that upset about it, you know? hmm Yeah. And it's because... Yeah, like... There's some great characters in this movie, and there's some awesome scenes in this movie, but I feel like they kind of, they don't, they're not as good because they don't mean anything. Like, we kind of already said that with the train scene. Like, that seems dope as hell, but I don't know what we're doing, so I kind of lose interest in it outside of (laughs) them doing dope things with the big train car. Like, that's it. Like, I feel like I loved, I'm going to forget her name. I love the robot lady so much. I think oh, she's so Bridge. Yeah, yes. L3. Yeah. I love her oh. so much. But then, like, so, okay, so she's awesome and I love her. But then she's Londo's girlfriend. And then she dies. And then she gets put in the Millennium Falcon. And it's like, <laughs> why, though? Why? <laughs> because we have to explain why the Millennium Falcon Seems to kind of be sassy to C-3PO sometimes in the original movies. <laughs> I was wondering why it did that, and now I know. Now I have the answers. And now also, you know. It's because Lando, the consciousness of Lando's robot wife is in the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> I was also wondering how Han Solo got his last name and why he calls Chewbacca Chewie. I wanted to know all those things, and this movie satisfied my need for that. Now I know. Yeah, I almost but, feel like this would have been a better short film where we just get all those simple questions answered. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, how did Lando and Han meet? Like, how did he get the Millennium Falcon? Right. Yeah. How did Chewie and Han meet? Like, why is he called Chewie? Like, if we just got all those questions answered in, like, 20 minutes, that would have been set. That would have been yeah. perfect. See, I think... Okay, first of all, I think that if the production schedule had shook out a little bit differently... I think this would have worked a lot better as one of these like prestige six issue or six episode Disney plus TV series. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, there, this story is so weirdly episodic that you could easily stretch these out and make them a little bit more meaningful over different things. Like the first one is him just like trying to get off Corellia. And the second one is like him being in the army and beating Woody Harrelson. And then he goes and talks to uh, Paul Bettany and then he meets Lando, and it's like we have like all these like self-contained stories that sort of like build on a larger mm-hmm. narrative. I think that you know these Star Wars stories, quote unquote, are very much like Disney trying to like now that they have Star Wars and they want to make Star Wars forever. Hopefully, they're like, mm-hmm. how much do people actually want? 
what do people actually want? Do they want two Star Wars movies a year or do they want it to feel like something special? If we only do Star Wars movies every once in a while, but we put a lot of stuff on TV, will they still like that? Like they're trying to figure out what people actually want. And Mm -hmm. this is Mm -hmm. basically when people said like people like this movie, it didn't flop, but it didn't do as well as anybody hoped it was going to. Any other Star Wars movie. Yeah. And it was very much people being like, we don't want this to be Marvel. We don't want two Star Wars movies a year. When there is a Star Wars, we want it to feel special. And this doesn't feel special. Um, Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, people really showing up for The Mandalorian that was premiering at the exact same time as Rise of Skywalker was coming out. It very much sent the Mm -hmm. message that like, but we will show up for whatever you want on television, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But I don't know. I just think it's interesting that if things had shaken out just a little bit differently, this absolutely, I think, would have been better as a as a television show. Mm-hmm. I sure. think it just yeah. boils down to how people see Star Wars movies. Like, we already kind of talked about this, but, like, there's something that a Star Wars movie kind of has to be, and if it's not that, it doesn't it doesn't really work. Like, I felt like Rogue One was maybe the perfect way to, like, fill in the cracks in the movies and then still feel like a Star Wars movie because, like, Rogue One was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I remember, like, I remember people liking Rogue One as it came out and being a part of, like, oh, Rogue One is so cool. It's so cool. Darth Vader's in it. It's so cool. <laughs> and then, like, when Solo came out, everybody was just like, Solo's not that good. And it's just, it was just like, or it's disappointing. And right. I think it's just like, when you make a Star Wars movie, it has to have a certain like level. And especially because Rogue One was kind of a contained story. Like it was simple and it did what it needed to do and it did it in a cool way. While Solo has to be connected to everything else, but weirdly still also has to be the same thing, but still also lead into the movies that we already have. Right. So it's just, it's a lot harder to do. And I think, and I think Rogue One did a much better job of being a Star Wars movie, right. you know? And I think it's interesting, now that I have some more experience with watching these TV shows and reading these comic books and like engaging with all this stuff that's sort of takes place in between movies. Mm -hmm. There is an art to telling a satisfying story that takes place within a broader character arc, right? Mm -hmm. Because, like, on the one hand, if you're doing Clone Wars and it takes place in between Episode 2 and Episode 3, there's not really any satisfying character arc that can happen in between where Anakin is at the end of episode two and where he is at the beginning of episode three, right? Like he's Mm -hmm. mostly the same. So any sort of character focused work you want to do in Clone Wars is like really, really restricted because he's got to basically end up pretty much the same as he was before, you know, Mm -hmm. because his actual character arc takes place in Revenge of the Sith, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. which I think is a big problem that this movie has. Like, it's trying to manufacture an arc out of something that, that takes place outside of the character's actual character arc. So at the end of the day, he kind of has to be mostly the same 
at the beginning as he is at the end because you know where he's supposed to end up, you know? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Star Wars like... is hard to write. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, but some people do it really well. I mean, I think the stuff that works best yeah. is stuff like Rebels or Mandalorian, which take place sort of outside of the main story. It's about their own characters who mm. can do whatever you want and it doesn't, you know, they don't have to be anywhere by any certain point, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Which is, I think, also one of the things that Clone Wars does smartly is that it starts to shift a lot of the narrative focus away from, like, Obi-Wan and Anakin, who can't really change that much, onto Ahsoka yeah. Tano and Darth Maul, who you can just do whatever the fuck you want with, because it's not like they're yeah. going to show up again, you know? Um, except for now, Except right for now, now when yeah. they do it. But, um, <laughs> but it's not like, you know, with Darth Maul, it's like, oh, but I've got to I've gotta make sure I let Darth Maul be where he's supposed to be in star mm-hmm. wars because darth maul is never going to be in a new hope like you can yeah. you can just yeah. play that story out however you want to it doesn't really matter um yeah. but unless george lucas decides to cgi animate darth maul into, <laughs> the, into the original trilogy again into every single star wars movie darth yeah. maul is like darth- in the background <laughs> <laughs> and yeah like but there are some people who also just do interesting things with characters in that situation. Like the Jason Aaron Star Wars comic book that takes place in between A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back is very much concerned with sort of... It's not necessarily very character-focused, which is not a, a bad thing, I don't think, for every story, which is smart in and of itself that you don't try to pretend like you're trying to yeah. do in-depth character work. But also it focuses a lot on sort of the events that happen presumably off screen and telling a larger story around it. Like in those comic books, there's a great sequence where um, Darth Vader finds out that Luke is his son, which we never really get to see in the movies. In the first movie, he doesn't seem to be aware. But then in Empire Strikes Back, he says, I am your father. And, like, there's this moment where Darth Vader finds out that this, like, young rebel that's been fucking up his plans is actually the son he thought was dead, you know, and that he's mm-hmm. still alive and has some tie to this young, powerful new Jedi, you know. And it's this really, like, complicated emotional beat that works really profoundly within the space of that larger character arc, you know. Um, but... I think Solo is mostly just like, oh, didn't you ever, you know how Han Solo won the Millennium Falcon in a card game? Here's that if you want to see it. It's pretty. Did you, we told you that, <laughs> but did you want to see it? Donald Glover's Lando and um, he, just, he was cheating, but then Han Solo cheated better. So he got it. He stole his girlfriend, literally. <laughs> Stole the soul True. of his girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. Wait a second. I didn't even realize that. Yeah, no. Yeah. straight up, like, kidnaps Lando Calrissian's robot girlfriend and just takes <laughs> her away forever. Yeah. I think that's, like, that's, like, the heart of this, this movie, movie's <laughs> issue is that there's so much emotion you could play with that they just don't get into. Right. You know, like... Yeah. It, like... The whole movie could have been about getting the Millennium Falcon if you like do it right. Right. You know, yeah. it didn't have to be about all these different things. It could have been about one thing and you make it emotional enough and you get into it enough and it would be interesting. Right. Yeah. 
And I just think that, like, wow. it's whack that Lando never got to fuck the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> <laughs> like, he showed up That's in Rise of Skywalker, yeah. and they didn't even let him fuck the Millennium Falcon. Not even once. Not even one time. And Why like, didn't we CGI that in? And I just, you have to imagine that when he's flying the Millennium Falcon in Return of the Jedi, it's like, that's the subtext. Is that <laughs> off screen. Don't ruin Star Wars, Jackson. <laughs> or he's making it better. Yeah. Or improving it, I guess. Don't you want to know more about Lando? Tell us. <laughs> well, but I don't. See, Lando cradles the body of his dying robot <laughs> girlfriend in his arms and then walks away from that completely unchanged and that's I what know. i don't get <laughs> yeah were they were they and like, it's like even clear boyfriend that, like, and girlfriend or were they like something else it's a i mean yeah it's, it is definitely meant to be like a more complicated relationship than that but it is clear that yeah. they were like partners in a sense like they had been on many adventures together and they cared about yeah. each other very deeply yeah. and also definitely had sex with each other. That's like not yes. even subtext. No, definitely. I, like, there was many times while watching the movie where I was like, I wonder how that works. Right. And then the character in the movie says that exact thing. They say, how does that work? Yes. And then L3 is like, oh, it works. And you're like, okay, cool. I guess. It's like, all right. Um, <laughs> I guess it does. But yeah, but no, like, Lando she, she is sad died. for like a second. And then it's like not yeah. really a thing anymore. And then he immediately goes back to playing poker with sexy women somewhere. Like, is <laughs> he's... I want Lando... I want the Lando Carizian that like picks up like her mantle and like starts fighting for droid rights. That's what I want. <laughs> and I don't get that. I, the droid um, rights, that was fun for a second. That was go fun. Ahead. I liked that. <laughs> yeah. I, like I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it because on the one hand, it's like this is like a cool, fun set piece, but on the other hand, is it does kind of like taint the rest of Star Wars, right? Like, oh, check oh, it yeah. out, <laughs> droids were very unhappy this whole time. And you're like, oh, okay, I guess. Well, but aren't you? Oh. <laughs> I think that's always been a part of it, Jackson. Aren't you yeah. upset when C three PO like repeatedly get like captured and sold like three different times, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they just fair. luck out and get sent to Luke? Like, right? Yeah, I guess that's fair. Um, yeah <laughs> I like anything anything involving the droids is always my favorite that's like even like in the Mandalorian and Rogue One Rogue One that's that's just my favorite yeah I mean, I love you know, the droids so are the best characters <laughs> yeah hands down um oh um the uh I want to talk about the sort of like production schedule of this movie because what they did wrong oh yeah because famously, Phil Lord and Chris Miller were originally signed on to the project, which a lot of people were really excited about because they were like, oh, that sounds cool. Because these are guys who are basically known for taking things that sound like bad ideas and doing a really good job at them. And making them good ideas. Yeah. And like everyone was like, oh, it's going to have like sort of a fun comic sensibility and like it's going to be sort of wry and not what we're used to like tonally. But then it turns out that from what I've heard, I was very savvy about the reporting on all this as it was happening. So what I've heard is that basically Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who have basically only made pretty, like either animated movies or like fairly small live action movies, 
got on set for Star Wars and just couldn't fucking handle it. Like, it wasn't that, like, oh, they rubbed the producers the wrong way or they wanted to do something so crazy that they had to fire them. It was more like they just did a really bad job because they weren't prepared for what making a Star Wars movie was really going to be like. And the onset experience mm-hmm. of everybody was, like, really shitty as a result. <laughs> um, so what happens then is that basically they bring on Ron Howard to just reshoot basically the entire movie. Like, <laughs> yeah. Cause it was like a comedy, right? Like it was more, it was supposed to be more like a comedy. Yeah. When I they mean, were directing it. And then maybe that's why it feels like such a weird film. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. We don't really know what their version would have looked like. Um, all we know is, and we don't even necessarily know how much of the footage they actually shot is in the final movie. There are sometimes yeah. like, there's that joke when they're like on the beach at the end where Han steps forward and he's like, no, we've got you surrounded inside the Millennium Falcon down there is 40 armed guards that are going to come out as soon as I give the signal and they fly away. And he's just like, okay, yeah, never mind." <laughs> like that is like the epitome of like a Phil Lord, Chris Miller joke of this like big yeah. grandiose, like dramatic beat that becomes like immediately undercut by something not going the character's way is like exactly what Phil Lord and Chris Miller do all the time. But on the other hand, uh, one of the only ways we can know for sure, which ones that Ron Howard actually shot is because uh, Paul Bettany's character, Dryden Voss was not in Phil Lord and Chris Miller's version I mean, his character still was, but he was played by a different actor, and he was going to be a mocap lion guy. <laughs> um, but okay, oh, I didn't know that. So, and this is my favorite part of this is that apparently once uh, they announced that um, Ron Howard was going to take over the project, Paul Bettany just texted him and was like, "Wouldn't it be so funny if you if you let me come and do Star Wars with you?" Ha <laughs> ha! LOL. Just kidding. Unless. <laughs> And Ron Howard was like, yeah, no, you can, you can come be this guy. We need somebody. And he was like, hell yeah. Like, he just, like, was passive aggressive at Ron Howard until he let him be in Star Wars. That's really good. Um, But, um, yeah, I don't know. And it's just, it's an interesting movie to think about, like, trying to parse out, like, what parts came from which director and how much of it was changed at a very late stage. And in a way it's just fascinating because this movie does function and make sense and is pretty solid despite the fact that it, they basically shot it twice, <laughs> you know, yeah. on like a very crunch time schedule. Yeah. When I saw that it was directed by Ron Howard, like in the end, I thought that was an interesting choice. Like, I wonder why did they go with Ron Howard? Right. Well, I because he's he's been in the industry since birth. Is that why? Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> well, um, you know, <laughs> what I have heard is that it's sort of similar. A similar thing happened with Rogue One, where Gareth Edwards sort of got in a fight with the producers during the like post production reshoot process. So they basically mm-hmm. said like, "Hey, we're gonna bring on a different director to supervise these reshoots." <laughs> And you can, like, still be on set or whatever, but you will not be the director for this part. But we're still going to let you be the credited director, even (laughs) though we're reshooting, like, 50% of the movie. 
Um, That's weird. And they tried, they basically offered Phil Lord and Chris Miller that. They said, like, yo, we're doing this whole thing, but we understand that you, like, poured so much work into it. You can still be the credited director of Solo, A Star Wars Story, if that's what you want. And they turned it down. They were like, no, we should probably just back off on this one. <laughs> we should just leave. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, I also just want to, like, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I've said all the, like, big picture stuff I want to say. Like, all my, like, big broad takes about how this movie functions, you know? Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, there was one other piece of background knowledge I wanted to bring up, because I think this is super fun. Um so one of the big fun things about this movie is that uh, the Millennium Falcon is like all shiny and crisp and new, which we've never seen before. And yeah. like, there's that sort of gag where there's like the, the sort of like forked point of the Millennium Falcon is like filled in. So it's like a solid shape. And then that middle part yeah. gets like knocked out or no, it's the escape pod. The escape pod gets jettisoned into oh, the black yeah. hole. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. This is apparently, from what I've read, a reference to a very specific thing, which was that in the 80s, after Return of the Jedi came out and George Lucas was like, no, I'm not going to make any more for a while. Uh, Kenner, the company that had the license to all the Star Wars toys, started pitching more movies to George Lucas just all on their own. <laughs> and. One of their big ideas, because they were profiting hand over fist on the toys and they wanted George Lucas to make oh, yeah. more. One of their big ideas was that they could make, um, instead of just making entire new ships for kids to buy, they could start selling like accessories that would sort mm-hmm. of attach to toys you already had. And one of those ideas that the toy company pitched in the 80s was that in their... Star Wars 4 they were trying to pitch there would be a scene where Han Solo finds the lost escape pod that would fit into that fork and they would sell a toy that was the little escape pod that you could like wedge into your already purchased Millennium Falcon toy (laughs) so this is apparently Jake Kasdan like referencing this weird obscure pitch from a toy company in the 80s yeah. <laughs> in Solo, a Star Wars story. I just think that's fascinating. That's fun. That's I would fun. do that. <laughs> it's like, man, all of those, like, shows about, like, the toy industry, especially, like, the toy industry connected to, like, movies, always blows my mind because they're, like, whenever they talk about the Star Wars toys, like, they were, like, they were just, like, the movie's not out yet. Make toys for this now before the movie comes out. And they're just like, uh, okay. And then they did it and then they made $10 billion. And it's like, oh, okay, Jesus. So, let's see. I love, we're jumping all around, but I love yeah. the very beginning of this. That like opening text where it just says, it is a lawless time. That rips. I'm so into <laughs> the that. The opening text was funny. I yeah. was like, it's so corny, but I love it. Yeah, it I'm like sets these PowerPoint a, slides. It like sets a tone so perfectly, like just right yeah. off the bat, just being like, and these young poor street youths are fighting every day to survive in this <laughs> horrible time. You're like, hell yeah, this there rules. Was some ro- there and was then some funny words. Proxima, 
Lady Proxima is like this weird centipede that is afraid of <laughs> sunlight. They're just like running around, fighting people. It's so good. Yeah, that that I I think my what I like about I like the actual like heist when we like do it with like Chewbacca and and Calrissian and like everybody. Once we like have everybody. And we're, like, doing the thing. Like, I'm having a great time. Like, Chewbacca helping his friends who are captured. And, like, all of the droids revolting and getting all the miners out of there. Like, that I, that whole scene functions so well in what they're doing. And it's so fun and enjoyable. But then it has to be attached to the rest of the movie. That doesn't make as much sense. And, I, <laughs> right. I, and it just kind of falls apart a little bit. Yeah. But, like, that scene is so good. But, yeah, no, that bit where they're, like, about to go back into the wormhole, but then there's just, like, a fucking Star Destroyer just, like, blocking it is so so scary. Like, it's incredible. And the whole bit with the big crazy space squid that they trick into flying into a black hole. Yeah. It's just so... (laughs) When you just, like, say it, it doesn't sound real. (laughs) Right, yeah, it doesn't sound like something you would put in a Star Wars movie. No. Yeah. And then it like gets sucked in it. and all the skin gets like peeled off of its skull. Yeah. <laughs> it's brutal. And another thing, because not only were you wondering about Han Solo's last name, you were also mm. wondering about the continuity error, not continuity error, the error how in Star Wars Han Solo says that he made the Kessel Run in under 12 parsecs, but silly parsecs is distance not time so this movie goes like way far out of its way to try to make that make sense (laughs) in retrospect oh i missed that but that that makes sense because yeah they're like oh the kessel run the thing that's crazy about it is that you can't just go straight there because it's super dangerous that way so you have to take the long way around but i went through the middle, which is the most dangerous part, so I did it in the least amount of distance. That's I did I did it in less than twelve parsecs. So it's like, okay, fine. <laughs> if, he, if we didn't need that, but I guess you needed that. So good on you if well, that makes you feel better. Then he, <laughs> then he does it and then just like the movie doesn't bring it up at all. Like he just like he tells some random person that's nearby that he did it, and then that's that's all the payoff we no, get for that fun. that they spent so much time establishing. <laughs> I think that's fun. I think it's just like, because, I mean, the payoff is just that he does it, and you're like, oh, I know that from Star Wars, and that's yeah. what gets you excited. And then, like, the fact that he's like, hey, hey, everybody, hey, I just totally fucking did that. And they're all like, go fuck yourself. I don't care. Like, <laughs> I think that's fun. <laughs> It's silly. <laughs> what do you guys think about um, Han Solo speaking Wookiee to Chewbacca? It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> your, your take. Yeah. Well, because we never see Han Solo actually speak Wookiee in the original movies, we right. just he understands it and knows what Chewie is saying. Mm-hmm. So he can repeat what Chewie's saying in the jokes so that the, the audience knows what Chewie was saying. So what I thought the joke was gonna be when Chewie slams him into the ground and he's like pushing and pushing him and he makes that gurgle sound. I thought that gurgle sound was him just dying and it just <laughs> happened to be 
the alien language. <laughs> right. That's what I thought the goof was going to be. And honestly, I was really down for it. But then that's not what we did. And he just knows fluent Wookiee, but it's yeah, fine. Yeah. Like, can you imagine, like, Han Solo in Empire Strikes Back having to be, like, like Harrison Ford. Just... I feel like Harrison Ford would not do that. <laughs> no, yeah. never in a million years. It's in my contract. <laughs> my favorite thing about Harrison Ford is that you can always just like feel that he super doesn't want to be in whatever movie you're watching right now. <laughs> like, yeah, he always seems <laughs> like irritated. The new Indiana Jones movies. Yeah. He's just like. It's a paycheck. Same <laughs> worth it. Like, you can just tell that he resents you as an audience member for making him get out of yeah, bed. Yeah, like, you're making this happen. This is because of you. This is your fault. I wouldn't be here if you weren't watching this stupid movie. Isn't it crazy that, like, he is one of the world's most powerful movie stars based on that persona? I know. Wow. That he just, I'm jealous. I know. Yeah. I wish I could have that kind of attitude and be, like, super famous making money. You show up to my like, work every day and be you, like, I, I hate do this. that. I do have that attitude, but I don't get paid that kind of money. Right, yeah, yeah. you're not pulling in Harrison Ford money. No. You don't get to be in Star Wars 7. Yeah, I mean, the biggest payoff of this movie is kind of the fan service stuff. Like, the payoff is, like, seeing him meet Chewie, seeing him meet Lando... And, like, I love that scene where in space and just, like, watching Han and Chewie just do these crazy piloting moves with the Millennium Falcon right. that we don't get to see in the original movies because we just didn't. Like, it's so cool to just see them just do this crazy stuff. And it's like, I just, that's what I want the whole movie to be. <laughs> that's what right. I want. And I love, just, I love the bit where... The Millennium Falcon, like, does a barrel roll and, like, smacks a TIE fighter out of the air yeah. with the side of the ship. That's my favorite part of this whole movie. Again, that doesn't Don't. sound real. That sounds like kids playing with their toys, you know? Right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it rules. It's so good. Yeah. Like, okay, yeah. so imagine you're a child and a six-year-old walks up to you and he says, Yo, my dad saw the new Star Wars movie in it and there's a big squid in outer space. <laughs> And it gets sucked into a black hole. You would push that kid into a puddle. He wouldn't wouldn't survive. (laughs) Or it's like if you're like playing with a kid and they're like playing with the toys. And they're like, now you be the squid. And I'd be like, there's not a squid in space in Star Wars. Like, what are you talking about, dumb kid? Listen, Timmy. I don't think you understand. You go into the black hole and then you get all squished up and your skull comes out. You're like, what? No, hold on. (laughs) (laughs) We need to talk to your parents about something. I need to talk to somebody about you. I also love the moment when they, uh, they like see the Millennium Falcon for the first time. And it's like this big, huge, insane, dramatic musical cue. And then they're like, also, it's um, it's kind of impounded and it has like a parking boot on it. <laughs> I think that's yeah. really good. <laughs> yeah. oh, I love that. Yeah. After like the five whole seconds of the Millennium Falcon theme. Yeah, man. But yeah, it's like that whole bit where they're like doing the heist and flying the Millennium Falcon around and getting the coaxium and making sure they're moving fast because it's going to explode if it gets too warm. It's like the stakes are mm-hmm. so clear in that sequence. They need the coaxium because otherwise Paul Bettany's going to kill him. 
And they have to move fast because if they don't move fast enough, the coaxium is going to explode and kill them. Like you've got two mm-hmm. forces acting on them and that's all you need, right? You know exactly what they want yeah. and how they're trying to do it. And the rest of this movie just feels like these weird nebulous emotional stakes that are hard to like really grasp and understand, you know? Mm-hmm. What do you think they're trying to set up when they're like, oh, Kira works for Darth Maul now and she's just going to fly away? Like, were they were they planning on making a solo two, solo duo, and he was going to, like, fight Kira, I guess? <laughs> like, I, I what think were they thinking so. with that? I think there was too much setup at the very end yeah. for there not yeah. to be a planned sequel, whether or not that's going to happen. Right. But- I yeah I did I really I hate cliffhangers I'm not a big fan of cliffhangers (laughs) right like at all and so I was just like when can we just like wrap it up (laughs) (laughs) right we don't need Darth Maul kill off Kira already (laughs) just put the scene from A New Hope at the very end of the movie like we get it (laughs) (laughs) I wish I don't know I kind (laughs) of want them to do I want like as much Darth Maul content as I can get to be honest I am surprise what i would think what they were setting up with that would be like a darth maul movie maybe like because they were gonna do obi-wan they were gonna do boba fett they were gonna do yoda and like because they're doing so much with darth maul and all the extended universe stuff it kind of feels like it kind of feels like we need a darth maul movie like (laughs) (laughs) we need it and yeah it's weird that because as of right now the movies that are planned are like a movie. There's going to be a trilogy that Ryan Johnson's going to do. There's going to be a movie that Kevin Feige's producing. And there's going to be a movie that Taika Waititi is directing. And some of I'm those might be the same one. movie. I don't know. <laughs> but like I, maybe one of those could have something to do with Darth Maul. Or maybe one of those could be Solo 2, I guess. Or like, yeah. <laughs> and but then there's also the Disney Plus stuff, which has got the Mandalorian and the series about um, Diego Luna's character from Rogue One and an Obi Wan mm-hmm. series eventually. And there's also one other one that is going to be a a quote female centric series because they felt the need to say that. And. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but like I don't know, it just feels weird that we've spent so much time with Darth Maul, and it doesn't feel like there's like a big payoff where like the general public is like, "Oh shit, Darth Maul has been here the whole time," and like now we're gonna do this big crazy thing where Darth Maul shows up and kills Yoda or something. Like, yeah, where's where's the big payoff on on Darth Maul? I hate I to mean, break it to you, Jackson, but Darth Maul can't kill Yoda <laughs> because we see Yoda die. He could. <laughs> what if he got in a fight I with like, Yoda? I like Darth Maul's design. Yeah, I know so, Darth Maul looks great. Exciting. He's got like the cool like laser like shields on his double side lightsaber now. Yeah, he's like the coolest looking villain. Yeah, I think. That's... Here's my pitch. All right. Um, in between, none of this works because Darth Maul gets killed in Rebels, which takes place before A New Hope. But shut up. Yes. <laughs> After Empire Strikes Back. Darth Maul shows up. He's like, I'm going to kill Yoda because he was a dick to me when I was a Sith. Goes to Dagobah. Fights him. 
but he just hurts Yoda real bad, cuts him up all over his body. But then Yoda mm-hmm. kills Darth Maul, but then he lays down in his bed and Luke shows up after he's been all all cut up by Darth Maul. And he's like, mm, your sister is a Jedi princess Leia, she is. And she, he dies, just like he does in, in Return of the Jedi. But now the subtext is, in that movie, that Darth Maul did it. But pretty tight if you ask me <laughs> but is that the is that the whole movie that's the whole movie yes <laughs> all right cool <laughs> you got it man i mean i think right, the treatment for that go to la take <laughs> that <thing. laughs> yeah <laughs> i bet that this is not a joke this is for real this time <laughs> i bet <Okay. laughs> that the the sort of cassie and andor is the character's name the guy from rogue one that's getting his own tv show I bet they'll put some Darth Maul stuff in there because presumably Mm -hmm. it would just be about him like running around being a scoundrel surviving in the empire times, which is when Darth Maul is hanging around being a crime Lord, presumably in this canon. Mm -hmm. So I bet if that Cassian Andor series does ever actually come to fruition, there's going to be plenty of Darth Maul stuff there. That's where I think they're going to find a way to, to pay off that cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, like, I'll criticize whatever Star Wars movie or say whatever, but I just can't get enough of Star Wars content. Yeah, like, I mean, I'll yeah. never be mad. I'll never be actually <laughs> upset about right. a movie or a book or a comic or a TV show. Right. Like, honestly, what if we got, like, the teenage rom-com that we all want <laughs> yeah. in Star Wars? Right. That we've all been asking for. <laughs> we've all been asking for. What if we got that? I'm waiting for the day when they green light like a romantic comedy that is just like about original characters and it like costs it's like super cheap to produce because there's not any action in it. It only costs like twenty million dollars, but it just is about people who live in Star Wars world and they never interact with anything. But it's just it becomes the like curse of La Llorona of the Star Wars universe. (laughs) (laughs) Where they just tell you it's connected, but there's no meaningful reason for it to be. Yes. 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 We want, totally the, we want the, we want like the '90s teen rom com with like <laughs> '90s music in it. Right, it's yeah. Like played, it's like played but with it's, like the weird Star Wars instruments. But it's in terrible like, alien music. Adeline, it's like it's like Westworld, like how they do like the the contemporary songs, but like with the piano. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so and this would be like with those weird like instruments you see them playing in the bars, but right. it would be like songs from the nineties. Right. Yeah. It would it's be the, the, it's the those weird butthead of... guys with the saxophones, but they're playing yeah. I can't feel my face when I'm with you. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Anastasia, did you know that the the genre of music that the aliens play is called jizz? Can you say that again? <laughs> <laughs> the genre, I want to make sure I heard you right before I respond. <laughs> the genre of music that the aliens play, according to George Lucas, is called jizz. Can you spell that for me? <laughs> it's J-I-Z-Z. It's called jizz. <laughs> Oh, George Lucas. And I'm so George. excited to hear all the all the jizz covers of the weekend. <laughs> oh my god. I need jizz covers of Daft Punk. Does George Lucas have like an active Twitter? 
I feel like the people that are around George Lucas probably really restrain him, like a lot. Don't want him to have. Yeah, his no, for sure. Yeah, they they probably like lock him in a room when he's not doing Star Wars yeah. stuff, so he can't talk about Star Wars. I kind of want. He has him. like no access to computers. <laughs> yeah. Just in case he Just gets like his hands books. on Star Wars again and adds in some CGI. I just want him to turn into J.K. Rowling and just start tweeting the most random BS about Star Wars. I feel like that's exactly what he would be like, though. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, like, if Twitter was around when the original trilogy came out, I feel like he would absolutely be J.K. Rowling and just (laughs) be like... But, like, the wrong way. He wouldn't be like, oh, Luke is gay, because we all know Luke is gay. He would be like, um... Luke's great great uncle was actually a lizard man, and we'd be like, okay. <laughs> Luke's great great grandmother was actually a princess for the planet, <laughs> whatever. Jizz. <laughs> Some made up planet. <laughs> you just be like, okay, I guess, thanks. <laughs> I, I can't argue with Thank you, you're George Lucas. Yeah. yeah, I guess I have to listen to you, I guess. Did I you guess know that um, apparently. During Solo was the only time George Lucas has ever been on set for one of these new Disney movies. Uh, they brought and that's him on. Why it's bad? They brought him on one day because because him and Ron Howard are like old friends. Um, yeah. yeah, and he directed part of. I think I think he directed part of the scene where they make out in Lando's closet. Is that right? I can't remember. I think that was the That scene. makes sense. Yeah. Anyway. That feels like good old George. I'm not. I'm not shocked. I am not shocked at all. Did you know that Ron Howard was originally supposed to direct uh, episode two? Interesting. Yeah. Please. His whole plan when he started doing the prequels, he was like, I'm going to direct the first one. And then Ron Howard's going to do the second one. And then Steven Spielberg's going to do the third one. And Ron Howard <laughs> and Steven Spielberg were like, I kind of don't want two he was like okay fine i'll just do all three <laughs> was that before oh or God. after the first one like fully came out uh that's a good question i don't know because i feel like they would have been like yeah i'll direct a star wars movie and the first one came out and the entire world was like boo and they were like oh never oh never mind no <laughs> i feel like george lucas is like the annoying little brother of the film industry oh that's that's cute that's cute you did that but like can you move aside please can you let us adults can you stop doing it now look look look. i produced an animated movie about leaves (laughs) okay george what was that movie called they're like little fairies um oh i don't remember oh was that is that strange magic no what was it it was like the only thing he's done in the last twenty years. <laughs> was yeah, that animated movie. One second, one second. I gotta find it. Oh, I, I guess he's a producer on Land Before Time. I didn't know that. Oh, maybe, I guess it was Strange Magic. That's what it was called. Hey. In two thousand fifteen. Which one is that one? I honestly, I, I remember being excited about it when I was a kid because the trailers just said. George Lucas presents. And I was like, oh, Star Wars is good, so that movie's probably great. I like that. And, like, I remember that as a memory, oh, but now that I'm looking God, at this poster, I, this. I have literally no memory of this movie whatsoever. It's because nobody saw it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I definitely yeah, didn't no, see didn't. it, but I remember this. Yeah. 
Cause, man, 2015. If you had asked me, I would have said like 2011. Like, yeah, <laughs> right. same. Yeah, I guess I wasn't even that young. Because 2015, I guess I would have been a sophomore in high school. And I was way too old to have been tricked by produced by George Lucas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you should have known better. Yeah, I should have. Yeah, come on, Jackson. Oh, okay. Do we have any final thoughts about Solo, a Star Wars story, before we start to wrap it up? Two good movies combined to make one okay movie. <laughs> yeah. It's what it feels like. Yeah, I think I think just my biggest thing is just that, like, you gotta... I think a lot of the problems with this movie are fixed. If you just make Han more angry and upset at the end, you know? Yeah. Like... Yes, yeah. You're you're doing all this stuff that's like, oh, but all his friends that he made died. Oh, and his this girl that he was so in love with had this special relationship with betrayed him. And all this stuff, and he's just kind of like, okay, I guess I'll hang out with Chewbacca and go to Tatooine. I guess I'm fine. And, like, I feel like if he were, like, upset and angry and, like, frustrated with the world at the end of it, it would come across really clearly, like, oh, he's just mad. He's going to be an asshole for a while, at least. (laughs) For a long time. Yeah. And, like, even if you keep the story the same, it would not be perfect, but I think it would all come together (laughs) in a more satisfying way. If he just got mad at the end. That's what I would have liked to see. Yeah. Stop being funny and charming and just get mad. (laughs) Let those feelings out. He needed like a scene where he's like at a therapist, like the Sopranos. (laughs) Right. But it's him sitting with his therapist. Like, and then he just destroys the room because he's so pissed. (laughs) (laughs) Just starts throwing chairs around. That's what I want, like a Star Wars Sopranos, like style show. With a weird well, if you just pull device. an Iron Man 3, and this whole time he's been talking to his therapist. <laughs> yes, yeah. And yeah, Chewbacca's the therapist. <laughs> <laughs> he's like laying down on the couch, he's like, I don't know, Chewie, what do you think? And Chewie's just like, and that's the end of the movie. <laughs> oh, and we didn't even talk about Alden Ehrenreich, who's good in this. And I am good in this. number one all-time Alden Ehrenreich stan, and I think he deserves better. I think he's great in this, and he basically doesn't have a, a career anymore, and I'm mad about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have you seen Hail Caesar, Anastasia? What? What was that? Have you seen Hail Caesar? No, I have not seen that one, actually. <sighs> Alden Ehrenreich is giving, like, genuinely maybe the funniest performance in a movie I've ever seen in Hail Caesar. (laughs) No, that is one I need to see. He's just so spectacularly good, and then he got to be Han Solo, and everybody got mad at him, and now he just doesn't get to be an actor anymore, I guess. Yeah. I'm I'm so bent out of shape about it. I mean, he was in a few things, but he has not been in anything since Solo. Because I... I can't place him anywhere. Yeah. He was in um, that Warren Beatty movie called Rules Don't Apply, which I'm sure was incredible. Um, yeah. And he was in Hail Caesar, which is actually, which actually is incredible. I love it. But those are like kind of the yeah. only <laughs> big things that he's been in. But And I feel the same way about Hayden Christensen too. I think Hayden Christensen's kind of good even in the prequels. 
But, like, the script yeah. was so bad, he just couldn't pull it off fully, and now he's just ruined forever. Yeah. And I keep yeah. saying I want to write yeah. my own spec script and, like, talk to their agents. Be like, I have a buddy cop movie with Hayden Christensen and Alden Ehrenreich. I'm going to revive your careers single-handedly. <laughs> oh, my God. That'd be so good. Through just that sheer force good. of will. Okay. Wait, is it a like, Star Wars you... buddy cop wait, 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 wait. movie? <laughs> okay. I, have, I have an idea. All right. What if there was a production company based solely around the idea that they make buddy films for people's careers who have been lost oh, to just trilogies, yeah. series. <laughs> been ruined by bad movies. It's not yeah, or fault. even ruined by movies that are too good, and so they, people only know them as that one character. Right. Yeah. We get Brandon Fraser. company pitch. Yes. Who else? I mean, I'll narrate, like, and I'm, I'll write a part for Brandon Fraser in there. Who else? Yeah, who else go. just got destroyed? Perfect. Shia LaBeouf. Yeah, kinda. He's kind of come back just a little, little bit. bit. I feel he's like he's more of a voluntary <laughs> exit, though. Yeah, <laughs> exit. He just wanted to quietly leave. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'm gonna work on that spec script, and I'll get back to you guys. <laughs> Brendan Fraser will doing. be the bad guy. Well. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> this is already perfect. This is already. <laughs> This is it. A million dollars. So, do you guys want to hear a uh, five-star review of Solo, A Star Wars Story? Ooh. Mm. I do. Yes. So, this review comes from Letterboxd.com. And this person says, I hated this movie when I watched it for the first time. I called it a character assassination that burns the dumpster it's in. Time passes as it does, and I've come to love this movie. And it's good, and you all... And... Sorry. This is in all caps now. And it's good, and you all think it's mediocre or bad or wrong. What a plot twist. But wait. <laughs> he said it was a character assassination that burns the dumpster it's in. But now, and then, if you think it's mediocre, flips. you're wrong. In all caps, you're wrong. <laughs> you're wrong. But it's good, though. It's good. Anyway, my name is Jackson McMurray. <laughs> My name is Alan McMurray. <laughs> My name's Anastasia McAllister. Oh, oh, and this is No Nerds Allowed. Hell yeah. There are no nerds allowed. There's <laughs> not enough Mick last names. We need more of them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Band together. <laughs> Overtake, I don't know, the Smiths. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>